Well, so tonight, as we've been talking about trauma, I guess, and helping people in crisis, I thought it might be helpful to spend a little while talking about burnout and compassion fatigue and maybe even vicarious trauma. And as I was thinking about this, this can be helpful as you're volunteering with people in crisis, but this can also be helpful. I feel like every parent needs this. Whether, yes, <laughs> whether you have kids in your house or you're caring for parents or both, if you're kind of in the sandwich there. And so um, I feel like this probably hits everybody. Every age and stage probably needs, needs to discuss some, care, some burnout strategies. Um, and so I'm excited to get to do that. Because the truth is, what you're doing is very tough work, mentally and spiritually, whether you're a, whether you're a parent or a caregiver for a parent, or like I said, volunteering in some of these other life-giving ministries. And so I wanna kinda of define the terms for us. First of all, sometimes you'll hear the, all of these terms used um, interchangeably. So like caregiver burnout, compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma, overwhelm, all of the things. And caregiver burnout, um, when I was looking for an official definition, um, the Cleveland Clinic says that it's a state of physical, emotional, and mental exhaustion. I feel like that is being a parent. Um, it may be accompanied by a change in attitude from having a positive caring attitude to a more negative. Um, and it can occur when caregivers don't get the help that they need or if they try to do more than they're able to, either physically, emotionally, or financially. And then empathy fatigue is the, or caregiver fatigue, is the emotional and physical exhaustion that happens from caring for people day after day after day. Also applies to parents. Also applies to people who are just serving others. And so over time we start to see people experiencing a sense of numbness or distancing themselves um, or maybe even having difficulty continuing to care. And so we're going to talk about some of these things tonight. I think it's important to know that um, compassion fatigue or empathy fatigue is, is a defense mechanism. So it's just our body's way of telling us that we need to pay attention. There's something going on, something's out of balance. We need attention. And so um, I'm thankful that the Lord gives us signs for that so we don't just run ourselves ragged. And then vicarious trauma, if you um, work a lot with people in trauma, you might hear this term, and this one they use a lot for professionals that work with trauma. Um, vicarious trauma is really um, the way it's, it's experiencing trauma from hearing people's traumatic stories over and over. Um, and you can experience that too if you sit with someone in crisis. You might start experiencing traumatic symptoms secondhand. So what I want to do, well, so here's where we're headed tonight. We're going to start off with talking about kind of the signs and symptoms of compassion fatigue or vicarious trauma or um, burnout. And then we'll kind of work on some boundaries maybe to help us protect ourselves from this. And then we'll work on very practical strategies, self-care strategies that we can use um, to protect ourselves but also to help ourselves if we find ourselves burned out. So in your packet, I think the last page, you have this bingo. And y'all, this is just a fun educational tool. This is not a, an official diagnosis. So let's just put that out there. But I thought it would be an interesting way for us to maybe talk about some of the signs and symptoms of, um, of compassion fatigue or caregiver burnout. And so that first one in the top left is feeling helpless, hopeless, or that no one, that you can't ever do enough. So feeling, especially like in your job or in your parenting, feeling like there's, there's always more to do. I just can never do enough. I can never check the box. Um, maybe feeling less sympathetic, maybe feeling more or less sensitive than normal, having a hard time concentrating or even having a hard time making decisions. Um, this would be, I mean, if this is your MO, then this, that's not necessarily a sign of burnouts, but this would be like, if you've always been really quick to make decisions and all of a sudden you're really struggling to make decisions, you're waffling back and forth and you're not sure, that might be a sign that maybe, maybe things are a little much right now. Even neglecting your own self-care. 
So if you realize, you know, I really haven't been out with friends in a while, or I'm not drinking my water like I should, or I'm not eating healthy anymore, maybe that's a, a sign, a, a red flag to maybe pay attention to what's going on on the inside. You might notice that you have trouble falling asleep or maybe trouble staying asleep once you fall asleep. And if that's a new symptom for you, a new sign for you, you might want to pay attention to that. What's your body trying to tell you? You may have more conflict in relationships, either at home or at work. That might be a sign that something's going on inside. Some people report feeling detached or numb or disconnected, either from themselves or from their family, from their coworkers. Maybe even a decreased interest in the activities that you enjoy. Some people have an increase in anger or irritability. If you notice that you're extra short with your kids or your spouse, maybe it's a sign that you need to pay attention to something's going on inside that needs, needs attention. Maybe you notice an increase in depression or anxiety. Or you have headaches, nausea, upset stomach, dizziness, other somatic symptoms. All of those are signs to pay attention to. Maybe you notice that you feel overwhelmed or exhausted, or maybe just like, I can't handle one more thing. If one more thing breaks, if one more thing goes wrong, if one more person calls my name, I can't handle this, right? So cognitive overload. Some people notice that they withdraw or isolate, or that they find themselves deliberately avoiding, avoiding some people or some activities. For some people, they find that they become rigid or inflexible. Maybe they find that their emotions are very intense or their feelings are very, in, you know, just even their feelings are intense. Or they may find themselves controlling, trying to control, especially I think as parents when we get on that, that overwhelm and the burnout, we can start to circle the wagons and we're going to control everything, right? And then our kids respond negatively. Um, you might... Find yourself feeling like fight, fight, or fight, flight, or freeze more often, kind of like the deer in headlights, kind of like I want to run, I want to hide, or I want to fight. <laughs> and then you may find feelings of guilt or fear or even complicated grief because that also is intertwined with compassion fatigue. So everybody grieves in their own way. There's no right or wrong way to grieve. Complicated would be maybe there were multiple things that you were grieving all at once, and so it's hard to kind of, kind of discern how to move through the grief process because there's all the things you're processing. Complicated grief could also indicate uh, or be indicated by if grief is taking longer than a year or two to resolve, then we would probably think that might be complicated. Something is stuck. Something's keeping it. Yeah, good question. So um, I, I randomly picked, if you checked four or more boxes, if you could say yes to four or more of these, then you might want to talk to a friend, right, or a counselor. Um, but like I said, this isn't diagnosing anybody for anything. But I think it is helpful for us to realize that these are signs and symptoms that the Lord has given us. They're red flags in our bodies that the Lord has given us so that we can, we can um, take care of ourselves, so we can continue to take care of the others that he's put in our care. And so, um, yeah, I would encourage you to talk to someone if you notice that you have several check, check marks on this. And the truth is, I would also pay attention to the season of life that you're in. In any given stage or season of life, I could have probably all of these boxes checked. <laughs> and so pay attention to that, too. If you know that it's just a really stressing time or it's been a really stressing week or couple of weeks or season, then give yourself some grace. If you know that there's an end coming to it, then great. But if maybe some of the things on here surprised you, then um, also give yourself grace. And I think, too, a lot of times burnout sneaks up on us. It's kind of like a slippery slope. It's a slow fade. And a lot of times we just get so busy doing the work and taking care of the people and moving on to the next thing that we forget to check in with ourselves and with our minds and our bodies to see, wait, how am I doing in the midst of all of this? I'm so busy caregiving. I'm so busy taking care of everybody else's needs. I've neglected mine. And it kind of reminds me um, of like the newborn stage where you get to 4 o'clock in the afternoon and you've been feeding this child and burping this child and all the things for this, this colicky baby. And you realize 
You can't remember if you've fed yourself or if you've watered yourself or if you've had a shower in the last 24 to 48 to 72 hours. <laughs> and so whenever you feel like you're in survival mode, it's important to kind of check in, check in with yourself and see, okay, how bad is it? How bad am I doing? And what do I need? And it's okay to tap out of caregiving for a minute so that you can take care of you more than a minute. Yeah, because the work that you do, whatever work that you do that requires all of this caregiving, um, is you're in this for the long haul, and we need you to be able to stick with it. So pay attention to the God-given signs that he has given us in our bodies that something is maybe a little out of balance. Okay, so one of the ways that I said that we will help you with the burnout is maybe starting to work on boundaries a little bit. And as helpers, as people who love other people, as people who are called to serve people in crisis, people who are hurting, um, we can sometimes not have very good boundaries because we get so, so excited to be able to help people that we can sometimes lose ourselves in that. And I can forget where I end and you begin. And so I think one phrase that can be helpful as we're serving other people is to remember that you can't help everyone. And one of the things that the Lord has been showing me, when I first heard that phrase, well, let me ask you this. When you hear that phrase, what feeling comes to mind? Is it like relief? Is it anger? <laughs> is it something else? You can't help everyone. Relief, yeah. In some ways, I take it as a challenge. Oh, yeah? I'm going to show you I can help everyone. <laughs> if you say it can't be done, I can do it. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think the challenge for me sometimes is to not use it as an excuse to think, okay, well, that might just be one of the categories that I can't help. Yes, yeah. I have to be careful that I don't sort it into that group before I've done the part Gotcha. Mm -hmm. I think I have felt all of those as I have read this, this phrase and as I've heard this phrase. One of the things that I have learned, because I think Jesus healed everybody, right? And one of the things that I've learned over the last few years is Jesus did not heal everybody in his time. There were plenty of times where God moved him on to the next city. And, he, and there were still people in that first town that never got to touch the, his garment. They never got to touch him and be healed. They never got to look him in the eye and receive a touch from him. And one of the things that I was reading just the other day, actually, in Donna Gaines's book, um, Leaving Ordinary, she said that Jesus did what the Father told him to do, and Christ did not feed every hungry person, heal every sick person, deliver every demonized person, or raise every widow's son from the dead. But... He was still able to come to the end of his earthly life and declare that he had done everything the Father had for him to do. And I feel like that is freeing. And it reminds me that I need to stay in my lane. He's got a lane set out for me that is in line with my gifts, my talents, my calling, um, the stage of life that I'm in, like everything. He's got a lane for me, and he's got a lane for you, and he's got a lane for you. And when I start looking at other people's lanes, I get in trouble. When I start stepping into their lanes, I get into trouble. And so I need to remember that I can only help the ones that he, he leads me to or that he brings to me. And everybody that comes to me is not in my lane either. So being able to, to discern, you know, is this, this, this is a very big need, and I would love to help is this one I'm supposed to help with, Lord? So even surrendering that to him from the very beginning and realizing I can't help everyone and following his example, following the cloud. I, I follow the cloud. And if the cloud leads me there, I go there. Otherwise, I trust that the Lord has provided somebody else for that need. When you don't know what to do. Me personally, 
I look to my gifts and my talents, and I look to see, is this something I'm equipped to help with? And, is this some, and I also look at energy levels. Is this something, and I'm not trying to be selfish, but like, is this something that I, I genuinely have energy and time in my schedule to help with? And if not, then this doesn't seem like a good fit right now. Is that helpful? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. So as we're kind of drawing some boundaries, I thought it might be helpful to look at a few categories of people that we can't help. And this comes from a ministry called Mercy Multiplied. Um, and I just thought this was super helpful <laughs> because especially as people who love to help, we just think everybody who comes to it, like we love to help and anybody who needs help, we will be the helper, right? And the truth is there are people who need help who maybe aren't ready yet. And so seven people that you can't help yet. Now this doesn't apply if you have, if this is your child, this does not apply. <laughs> Unfortunately, you're roped in there, but I'm gonna give you some tips on that in a second. Um, but seven people you can't help yet would be, maybe the first category would be the people who refuse to accept that they have a problem. So if they can't, if they are not at the point where they admit or accept that they have a problem, then they are not ready for help. Because you can try to convince them, you can try to talk them into it, but if they are not there yet, then there's no, they're not looking for solutions. They're not looking for your help. Maybe they're looking for you to be a sounding board or to vent to you or just somebody to listen, but they're not looking for help. And then the next one would be, you can't help yet the people that think you are the problem. That doesn't work out very well. And so that would kind of be a sign that they're not in your lane. God has provided another lane for them. You might help them find the other lane, but you are not, you are not it. At that, not yet. Things could change. And then another category would be people who constantly justify wrong decisions. So if they don't own their actions, if they don't own, um, own their part in, in the problems that are around them, then they're probably not ready for help just yet. And then the next category would be people who refuse to accept biblical solutions to their problem. This would be, when I think of biblical solutions, I think of like if somebody had a problem with their marriage, for instance, and they were maybe dead set on divorce, and you were maybe trying to, hey, let's see if we can reconcile this first. And maybe they were trying to skip through that. Or if you're talking about lifestyle issues, so maybe even gender, gender, gender identity kind of stuff, or even same-sex marriage, those kind of things, I would think if you are, if you know that they will only find true freedom in Christ and doing it his way, then that might be a, a, a boundary that you set with them. I'm not saying you can't help them at all. <laughs> I'm just saying you probably won't be able to go as far with them with this. They're probably not quite ready. Does that make sense? Yeah. I can see why you'd ask that because it does kind of lend me to think about when I try to tell someone mm-hmm. the Bible says this. Right. And they're, just, they're not they open. They shut you down. Like, right. Not, I don't think that's what you're saying, though. Mm-mm. I know we've had conversations with family about whether things are right or not right. You know, if it's mm-hmm. a victimless thing, like, well, you shouldn't be smoking that, you know. Right, right. Like, would that fall in that category? Like, this is not right for you to do because it's not right for you to do. Like, there's, there is a right and wrong. Right. Right. So, like, moral choices. Mm-hmm. Moral choices, where the Bible has already spoken about that. Mm-hmm. You can still help them, but you're probably, they're probably not going to be open to the help that you have to, to offer because the help that you offer will probably be encouragement through Scripture. <laughs> and so if they're not open to that, then you're probably not the one to help them yet. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yes. 
Planting seeds, that's right. And I'm not saying you stop them at the door and say, wait a minute, are you willing to do this God's way? If not, we're out of here. <laughs> and this is certainly not the way that I practice counseling. But um, ultimately, you're not going to be able to fully get them the help that they need if they're not willing to submit under God's authority, under his way. You can help them out in a crisis. You can get them through the crisis, help them find the food and the shelter that they need. But you probably won't be able to, there will come a time where you'll be limited in how you can help them. Because they'll only go so far with you, with biblical solutions. It doesn't really get down to the root problem. Right. Yes, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hit the root. The root is, uh, these behaviors are filling a void that only God can fill. Yeah, or attempting to fill a void that only God can truly satisfy. That's right. Right. What does that have to do with today? What is the response? That's a good question. So when they feel like the Bible is irrelevant, irrelevant. Mm-hmm. you can help them. Oh, go ahead. To open up to, to open the idea. Uh huh. Yes. Yes. But for the most part, it takes a long time for that to. Yes. What's the immediate response? What, what is the affirming response that it is? What is, what is, you know, it takes a long time, but what is the affirming response back to that person? Is well, it telling you it's irrelevant? It's an old book. It was written a long time ago. I try not to argue with people about that, but right. maybe turn it to my experience is mm -hmm. this. And they can't argue with my experience because that's my experience. Okay. Right. And so in my life, when I stopped doing this, it improved my life. Mm -hmm. And all I did just tell them a biblical principle, but it wasn't based on the Bible. It was based on the experience that I had. Yeah. I think sometimes in the world of one-by-one, for instance, the people that were helping, they are in that situation because they have chosen, made choices that are not moral. And, but we can be there to help and we can be there to guide and you just have to be so careful to not, um, to, to not, you don't want to turn off that relationship by judging them. I mean, from the right. get-go, you know, right. you would not be in this situation <laughs> if it weren't for this. Um, but uh, yeah, condemn and stuff like that. You're just continuing to maybe build that relationship so you do get the opportunity to finally fully help with the problem, like you said. Right. To just realize you're not going to be able to fix everything about them, especially right. since they're not mm -hmm. open. Right, if they're not open. But it does come back to building the relationship. I guess I don't want to miscommunicate and say, like, you asking these questions at the door, and if they say, no, I'm not open to the Bible, we just go, sorry, can't help you. Um, we're building the relationship the whole time. But, yes, it's realizing that we can only go so far in helping them if they're not open to the to the word and everything that we're doing, whether it's with our kids or caregiving for serving in a ministry, everything we're doing is building that relationship so that we can have the opportunity to share the gospel, to share biblical solutions. I see your list as a, these are the places where Satan attacks us as the ones trying to give and says mm -hmm. you are very ineffective because of these things. But really what you've allowed us to understand are there are places where we won't be able to be as effective. And these are the reasons. They're not excuses to not try to build a relationship. Right. They are explanations for why we may not be making the kind of progress that we personally would like to make. Right. So I, I, I like that. It doesn't give me an excuse, but it helps me to understand. Um, yeah. It helps me to understand. For sure. theoretical and 
This is yes, this is what it's done for me. for physical needs to be met. Yes. Yeah. Does that answer? Okay. And then some other people, categories of people, I guess, that um, you might not be able to help yet would be those who refuse to invest in the time for change. We live in such a microwave society. We want quick fixes. We want this to happen yesterday. And it just doesn't work that way. Um, sometimes we do get into crisis overnight, but most of the time, you know, we kind of, it's a slow fade into depression. It's a slow fade into serious anxiety. It's a slow fade into addiction. And so we just need to um, help people understand that it's gonna take, it's gonna take a while. Healing comes in layers. And God will reveal a layer and he'll heal that. And then we'll move on to the next layer. But um, we want to make sure that they, they're willing to invest the time for change. And again, that's another shame message, right? Well, you didn't help them in three weeks, so you weren't good enough. And that's not true. They might not have been willing. And then some other people that you probably can't help yet would be the ones who won't invest in themselves at a greater level than you. They used to tell us in counselor training, if you are working harder than your client, you are working too hard. <laughs> So if I am bending over backwards, making all these phone calls for this person, getting them all kinds of contacts, get, helping them to move forward, and they're not matching that energy, or at least even trying to join with that energy, then I'm probably working way too hard. And they're probably not ready, ready for change. So if you find yourself tracking them down, because they have missed maybe a few sessions with you, they missed a few meetings with you, maybe they're not ready. It's not because you're not good enough. It's not because of you at all, probably. They're just not ready. So something to keep in mind. And then the last one would be people who consistently choose relationships that harm them, and they're unwilling to leave them behind. So if it's the harmful relationship that is the root of their problem or contributes much to their problem, 
then eventually, if they won't let go of that relationship, eventually you can only go so far with helping them. Any other questions or comments on these? Let me ask you this, is there someone who you're currently working with who fits one or more of these descriptions on the list? I'm anxious to hear what you say about it doesn't apply to our kids. <laughs> I was gonna say, or somebody in your house, yes. That happens too, all the time. Yeah, if this was a bingo card, we'd probably have to block that. <laughs> this is tough, isn't it? Yes. The thing is, if this is someone in your house, you may n it is a fact, you may not be the one that's going to help them yet. And this might be a sign, if you're seeing these in, in, in a member of your family, this might be a sign that maybe a counselor or a mentor, an adult, somebody else, a mature person, spiritually mature person outside of your family might be more helpful to them in this season and help kind of bridge the gap between, between you two. But this, yeah, these might definitely be signs that somebody else non-judgmental outside of your family could be very helpful. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is coming with your next set of bullets, but it doesn't mean it's over. That's right. It's not over. You see a lot of times <laughs> that the time may not be now. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yes, because you're always planting seeds. And like I said, this isn't a close the door, run away kind of thing. This is just that, okay, well, we can only go so far. <laughs> I'm going to help you with your physical needs. I'm going to help you with your immediate needs. And we're going to go as far as we can. But eventually, we can only go so far until you're willing for this step. This is what I want for you because my testimony, this is what I've seen it help me with. I think it's helpful to know that in these instances, the most helpful thing you could do is communicate your care for them. I care deeply for you. I've brought you as far as I can. I care very deeply for you. And then set appropriate boundaries. You know, I've taken you as far as I can until you're willing to repent, until you're willing to forgive, you know, until you're willing to leave that relationship. I just don't see that this is going to be very helpful. And then you want to surrender them to the Lord in prayer. Because he can use this, your healthy boundaries, your seeds that you've planted, to work and to grow in their lives over the next few days, weeks, months. And they may cycle back around to you. And we do all this while modeling all of our healthy relationship skills. We model, they are precious, we care about them. But we can only do so much for them. And I know that this can feel uncaring and harsh. But we can only help those that desire to be helped and are willing to partner with the Lord in their own healing and freedom. So we can only help them, we can only take them so far until they're willing to partner with him in their healing. And I love, too, that Jesus had boundaries. His no was not crushing, and his yes was never enabling. And so do you see where... Not enabling. His yes was not... Was not it, was not an, it was not allowing them or helping them to continue in their sin patterns. Mm -hmm. So his no was never crushing and his yes was not enabling. Because we can't want it more than they want it. If I want freedom for them more than they want it, it's not going to work. That's a hard reality. But can you see where, or at least I can look back, the times when I have felt fatigued and burned out, it's because I was spinning my wheels trying to make one of these scenarios happen. Whether it's with family member or whether it's with someone that I was trying to serve. 
Any other questions or comments on that? Mm -hmm. so that I'm not like stressed or extra burdened and spinning trying feeling I'm the failure for nothing right it's refreshing. it is freeing at first when I see this list I'm like ah this feels harsh this feels terrible what do you mean we can't help everybody but then I'm reminded Jesus didn't help everybody I mean, ultimately he did because he died on the cross for everybody. But the physical healing, he did not, he did not physically touch everybody. He knew their heart. So we plant seeds. We do what we can, but we don't beat ourselves up, especially if it's somebody in this category. If it's not working, if I'm exhausted helping this person, there's a reason. And this might be, one of these might be your reason. I hope as it sinks in, I hope it provides freedom for you as you're helping people. And I think, too, it's helpful to know that just because somebody comes to you for help doesn't mean you're the one to help them. You can help them find help elsewhere. There's always somebody, somebody around that can help. And if you need help finding somebody that can help, I can help you find that person. But there's always somebody who can help. We don't have to just close the door and leave them out there. So... Yeah. All right. One of the verses that is very helpful for me as I'm thinking about staying in my lane and keeping to my boundaries is Matthew 11:28 through 30, which says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now there's no shame here because what I'm teaching you is coming from my own journey, making lots of mistakes, still making mistakes and working with people. So I haven't arrived yet, but these are strategies that I'm learning right along with you, that I'm implementing right along with you. But one of the things that the Lord is teaching me through, through these verses specifically is that I can rest in his promise. Because when I come to him with my burdens, he gives me rest. And so if I check in with myself, maybe I'm feeling not rested, maybe I'm feeling weary, then I, that's, a, that's a red flag. That's a God-given sign that I need to pause and I need to check in. What's going on? What have I taken onto my plate that God did not intend for me to have? Or maybe it's supposed to be on my plate, but I'm carrying it all on me instead of relying on him to carry it. And so what has he given me to do? What's my part to do here and what's his part to do? And if I'm weary and heavy laden, I've taken on a burden that's not mine to carry. And so when we come to him with our burdens, he gives us rest. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And if that's not the case for us, then we need to pay attention. Pay attention. Maybe my rescuer parts are activated, and I just want to rescue this person, and I'm going to do everything I can to control the situation and rescue this person out of the situation they're in. God didn't call me to be a rescuer. Maybe my savior parts are activated, and I just want to be the savior for this person. He is the savior. I can't take over his job. I can't, I can't do it any, anywhere near as well as he can. So what part of this is his job, and what part is mine? Okay, some practical strategies. These are inspired by Trauma Stewardship Institute, but some practical strategies for caregivers, if you find yourself maybe burned out, or if you're wanting to prevent burnout, um, would be first and foremost to protect your mornings. It's so tempting to roll out of bed, check email, check socials, but I would encourage you to protect your mornings. Um, don't reach for the news even. Don't look for school or work updates. Um, when you first wake up, you want to avoid that, that cortisol flood first thing in the morning. The cortisol flood is like the stress response. You want to avoid that. So decide how you can protect your mornings. 
Maybe you don't even sleep with your phone in the room. Maybe it's across the room and there's a, there's a gap between waking up and going to get that. But protect your mornings. And consider starting with prayer because prayer calms your nervous system. It reconnects us with the Father. It grounds us in his power and his presence and his hope. If we start off the day like that, we start off in power instead of feeling like we're behind. It reminds us that he's got us. One of the things that has been helpful for me recently is breath prayers. Do you all know what I'm talking about with breath prayers? So you take a portion of scripture. So let's say, for instance, be still and know that I am God, right? And you'll inhale for part of that verse and you'll exhale for the rest of that verse. So you would inhale and say to yourself, be still and know. And then you would exhale that I am God. Be still and know <laughs> that I am God. I guess we aren't moving enough. The lights went out. <laughs> that works. <laughs> so breath prayers, you can use that with your favorite Bible verse. You can use that with a verse about anxiety. You can use that with a verse about all kinds of things. It's one way that you can meditate on the word all day long. And it helps. It helps to, um, to calm your body. It helps you to center, to recenter. So prayer is super important. And then being mindful of your feelings. So being mindful of your attempts to distance from your feelings. Are you shopping online or maybe in store to avoid your feelings? <laughs> Are you caffeinating yourself to avoid feelings? Are you overscheduling yourself so you never have to sit still and sit with your feelings? Um, scrolling your phone, substance use, are you constantly criticizing, kind of putting the blame, nitpicking everybody else so you don't have to deal with your feelings? So pay attention. Pay attention to how you're, how you're treating yourself and others. Are you being mindful of your feelings? And feelings are just red flags. They're just signals for us to know that something's going on inside. And the Lord wants to heal. He wants to address something. They help keep us in balance. And then nature is huge, nature and animals. So if you can, look outside, get outside, even if it's just for a moment. It's so good for your health. And then animals are good, so being around them, they reduce your stress hormones. They decrease your blood pressure. So <laughs> they make yours go up. <laughs> we do have a dog that probably increases ours as well. <laughs> Pick and choose your animals. Pick and choose your nature. But those are all good things. Help us to reconnect. Um, simplify your routines. Set up systems to automate meal planning, household chores, weekly routines, daily routines, bedtime routines even. Just have rituals and routines so that you don't even have to think about it. It doesn't take any cognitive energy to get the kids in bed. It doesn't take any cognitive energy once you get your rituals and your routines. Kids in bed probably wasn't a good example for that. <laughs> that takes a lot of energy. And then hydration and blood sugar. Um, pay attention. Are you, are you drinking water? Are you keeping your blood sugar up? Because our bodies are very sensitive to that. When our blood sugar drops, you know how it is when you're hangry, when you're cranky. Um, so pay attention to that. Take good care of yourself. Make sure you're getting good protein, good complex carbs, and that you're drinking water throughout the day. And then practicing gratitude, even if it's the worst day ever, what's one thing that went right today? What's one thing that didn't break today? What's one thing that was just okay today? So practicing gratitude, maybe even naming three things I can thank God for at the end of the day. Gratitude changes everything. There's a reason God calls us to be thankful. Then exercise whether that's walking, breaking a sweat, um, any amount of exercise will increase the health and the calm in your nervous system. It gets out all of that energy, all of the nervous energy, all of the worry, the stress. Exercise is good and sleep. I know we know to sleep seven to eight hours a night, but maybe you need to set a bedtime for yourself. And then maybe set a bedtime for your devices an hour or two before your bedtime and really fight to get your seven to eight hours of sleep. It makes such a huge difference. 
It's, wh it's while we sleep that our brain repairs itself. It cleans itself. It stores all the events of the day. It stores it in long-term storage, short-term storage, things to remember. So sleep is very important. And then some other strategies would be um, if you're a volunteer somewhere, maybe having a calming space, especially if you work with people in crisis often, having a break room or something that um, you can go and take a break in between seeing people. That could be including things like um, gum or a candle, even lavender essential oil. I know some places that work a lot with trauma, they hire massage therapists to come in and help, <laughs> help their volunteers, help their people. Um, and then even for you at home, having a calming space, is there a place where you can go and get away from your kids for a minute and just breathe, do your breath prayer? Maybe it's the bathroom, that never worked for me. Um, but maybe there's a calming space in your home. And then I would encourage you to think of end of the day routines and rituals. When you have a stressful day, when you have a stressful person that you're serving, um, having a routine or a ritual to be able to shake that off at the end of the day is helpful. And so for some people that can be like wiping their feet on the doormat as they leave the building where they met with that person. Um, for some people that might be closing the bedroom door to your kids, to your kids room as you tell them good night and just, ah, it's over, we did it, we survived, right? <laughs> now it's me time. <laughs> Um, for some people, that looks like um, having a kind of imagining casting their cares and their worries on the tree outside their door at their house so that they walk in fresh. They've left all the carries of the or all the worries of the world out on the, that tree and they walk in and they're able to be fully present with their family, kind of leave that behind. For me, it's turning out my lamp. <coughs> When I turn out the lamp in my office, then it just kind of signals to my body, it's, it's over. We will leave everything else in the Lord's hand. We're done. Do you all have any rituals or routines that help to kind of shut, shut down or turn off or signify that's the end of that? <laughs> that hard work right there. Now we're moving on to the next thing. I like it. Shower PJs and a blanket on the couch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You may have things you do you just don't even realize. Maybe just even paying attention to that transition. But it can be very helpful to be intentional about those things. And then this last one is container exercise. And it's kind of a guided imagery um, exercise. And basically, it's checking in with your body, maybe feeling the stress, maybe feeling the, the heaviness of a conversation that you had with somebody that you're helping, and imagining putting that in a container. Um, so imagining like what container could hold that stress? What container could hold that yucky feeling? And for some people, it could be like a mason jar. For some people, it might be a shoebox in the closet. You know, For some people, it could be um, a book on the shelf. They just want to open the book, slide that feeling in there, and be done. And they close that. And so imagining what container could hold that. And then imagining taking a deep breath. And as you take a deep breath, blow out all of the yucky feelings, all of the heaviness that you feel. Put that into that container and close the lid or shut the box. And then what's really helpful, I, to me anyway, is imagining putting that, giving it to the Lord, surrendering it to God. Like these are all the burdens I've been carrying today or this is all the yuck that I feel like I'm carrying after this conversation. And so I'm going to put it in this container. I'm gonna picture putting this in the Lord's hands. And for me, I physically like, or at least I imagine physically putting it in his lap. Like this is yours. You can handle this. For some people, they lay it at the altar. For some people, they put it beside him or they hand it to him in his hand. Um, but picture leaving it with him and then picture yourself just walking away. So container exercise is super helpful and it can be for the big things and the little things. When you kind of stop and pay attention to, what am I holding on to? How can I release this? That's one way to do that. Any questions about any of those? Uh-huh. 
Yes. Yes. You spent a lot of time on the container, right? Building out the container. Yes. So it's like, it's not a 30 second deal, right? You have to have a little, I guess. With practice, it can be, yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's very powerful. For sure. Very powerful. I have a script for that if you would like that. But container exercise is super helpful. And you, you feel the release. You feel the burden. You feel the heaviness leave. I'm looking to see where I want to go. We end at 7.30, right? Um, we can go a little bit longer. I mean, just as people can continue. I think that's a link. To get their kids, yeah. Nope, this will work. All right. So then, as we close tonight, I want to ask you, what is maybe a strategy or two that you might incorporate into your personal routine of self-care? Especially if you're in a difficult season right now, if you're helping people through difficult seasons. Was there one that kind of stuck out to you tonight? better at getting ready, organizing my brain for the beginning of the day, but my lack of an end-of-day routine or ritual might even be causing that never turn, I'm never turning it off, and it is just kind of uh. sitting there, so I was just thinking that it needs to be, when I worked in an office, it would be the act of putting away the papers, cleaning off the desk and stuff, Yes. for the weekend, but I, I don't have that routine any longer, um, and I don't know that I realized that it was, it probably is impacting focus on the family, which I've been doing a horrid job of, you know, taking care of the family kind of sometimes, and I, mm -hmm. I think it's because I'm not turning off that part yes. to go and do the other role. It's especially important if we work from home. Yeah. It's hard to turn it off. Yeah. I really like your bedtime for the five thirty. <laughs> Uh-huh. It makes a big difference. Yeah. Well, good. Well, thank you all so much for letting me talk on this tonight.